Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Xi Zhi. Coming up in this edition, Chinese President Xi Jinping will attend the BRICS summit in Johannesburg and pay a state visit to South Africa. Military leaders of the West African regional bloc ECOWAS have voiced their commitment to ensuring that democratic rule returns in Niger. And thousands of people are scrambling to flee fast-moving wildfires threatening parts of Canada's Northwest Territories. Starting in Africa, leaders of the BRICS group of countries are preparing to meet in South Africa next week for the first in-person summit in three years. Chinese President Xi Jinping will attend the BRICS summit in Johannesburg and pay a state visit to South Africa. The Chinese president will also co-chair the China-Africa Leaders Dialogue, along with South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. Julie Shai has more from Cape Town. The 15th summit being held in South Africa could change the course of BRICS history. Including more countries at the BRICS table reinforces the idea of a multipolar world. We will see whether BRICS indeed is to become this type of complementary grouping to other global ones, including the G7 or the G20. There's certainly from the global south a sense of we need to look for alternatives in terms of our own agency and voice globally. And BRICS is becoming more and more that space. You cannot govern an increasingly complex international system with a very small group of countries who all think the same. You need to incorporate different voices with different histories, different geographic dynamics uh, into the international debate. And I think that can only benefit the international order in the medium to long term. The dollar's reign as the dominant global trading currency is also under intense scrutiny as tensions escalate between the West and other countries over the Russia-Ukraine conflict. The discussions about de-dollarization, that is an important aspect for many countries in the global south, inflation in the United States, and trading in U.S. dollar becoming uh, more and more expensive and seen by countries as, as, as potentially being used as a weapon. Many of these issues have already been unpacked and debated since South Africa assumed chairmanship of BRICS in January. It's now time for leaders to take bold steps to reshape the BRICS grouping and position itself as a stronger global force. That was Julie Shire in South Africa. Military leaders of the West African regional bloc ECOWAS have stressed their commitment to ensuring the return of democratic rule to Niger. They have been meeting in Accra, the capital of Ghana, for two days, discussing the crisis in Niger following last month's military coup. The meeting came after the country's military leaders defied an ultimatum from ECOWAS to reinstate ousted President Mohamed Bazoum. They have instead threatened to charge Bazoum with high treason. Nabil Ahmed Rufai reports from Accra. West African military chiefs arrived in Accra, to give clarity to talks about a potential use of force in Niger. They are here to outline an operational plan that will be rolled out should a military intervention get the nod. Last week, leaders of the West African Regional Bloc, ECOWAS, activated the organization's standby force in readiness for a military intervention in Niger. But the junta leader, Abdurrahman Chiani, continues to hold on to power. ECOWAS says it is still open for dialogue with the junta leader even though past attempts have failed. We just want to tell them that 
uh, and inform them about the resolve of the equalities of state and government to make sure that by all means available, constitutional order will be restored in the country. ECOWAS says it will use a military intervention as a last resort. There was no representative from Niger, Burkina Faso, Mali, Guinea and Cape Verde at the military chief's meeting in Accra. That was Nabil Ahmed Rufai in Ghana. In North America, thousands of people are scrambling to flee fast-moving wildfires threatening parts of Canada's northwest territories. Officials in the region's capital, Yellowknife, have given the residents a deadline of noon Friday to evacuate the area. The blazes have prompted evacuations by road and air. Owen Fairclaw reports. Flee by Friday at noon, the order for residents of Yellowknife in Canada to escape the latest wildfire. Some 20,000 people in the capital of the remote Northwest Territories are in its path. But escaping is also fraught with danger. Yellowknife's mayor issued the evacuation order on Wednesday night as some 200 wildfires burn across the region. There is a possibility that without rain, the fire reaches the outskirts of Yellowknife by the weekend. It is approaching, but there's time to complete the community evacuation. Officials are organizing flights for people with medical conditions, but warn they may not be able to help those who choose to stay after the evacuation deadline. Across Canada, there are at least 1,000 wildfires burning, a record number that scientists are linking with rapidly rising global temperatures. That was Owen Fairclough reporting. In the United States, the head of Maui's emergency management has resigned after his agency received criticism for failing to activate the alarm system during the deadly fires. The resignation of Herman Andaya came a day after he gave his first press conference, a week after the fires killed more than 100 people, including children. Survivors say lives could have been saved if the alarm system was activated, but officials defended not sounding the alarm, saying it would have confused the public. Meantime, search and rescue operations continue in the devastated town of Lahaina. Dan Williams has more. The Maori emergency chief, Herman Ndeya, came out and said that he had no regrets over not using the uh, early warning system that's on throughout Hawaii. Um, and there's about 80 warning sirens here on Maori alone. Uh, now, that early warning system is primarily based there for tsunami warnings. And so the discussion there, the authorities there saying uh, they decided not to use it in order uh, to, that their fear was that they might uh, see residents running up into the mountains and not, which would be into the wildfires and not away uh, making other evacuation routes and so they decided not to use it but of course that has come under a lot of criticism from residents here uh, of course um, given that so many perished or potentially have perished uh, in this uh, this huge wildfire that swept through just over a week ago so that resignation now accepted uh, here by the mayor uh, they citing uh, unspecified medical reasons for that resignation but of course coming one day after saying that there were no regrets for not using it, uh, then obviously there's a, a lot of uh, people here that were angry uh, that, uh, that that early warning system was not used and did not alert more residents to the situation that was unfolding so quickly. I think the one thing that's come out of this is that there's a lot of the community feel that they, they really came together uh, in the days following this uh, horrific tragedy. Uh, and, and it really is, you know, whenever you speak to the residents here, they talk about how people came in via boats, uh, via roads 
road that any which way to bring water supplies, uh, you know, temporary accommodation, you name it, um, to help people uh, away, you know, injured, uh, set up uh, emergency tents, uh, kind of emergency triage. Uh, so all of that happened, but it was all, they say, the residents that I've spoken to, it's all led by the community and not by uh, the authorities. They say they expected more action more quickly uh, from the local authorities and from uh, government and it just hasn't been forthcoming. I have to say now, uh, when you go uh, into Lahaina, you can see that there's uh, thousands of uh, people working, different officials, different uh, uh, strands of government all working now, whether it be still trying to find victims using sniffer dogs or whether it's uh, reinstoring power, reinstoring electricity, that type of thing. So there's all sorts of elements now going on. There's big relief efforts there now. But residents that I've spoken to saying that they uh, were upset that it didn't happen sooner. Uh, and of course, with Joe Biden, the US president arriving here on Monday, uh, we might well see uh, some of uh, that anger come forth uh, over the next few days ahead of that visit and during that visit as well. That's Dan Williams reporting from Maui. In Europe, Pedro Sanchez's efforts to return as Prime Minister of Spain have received a boost after his candidate was elected Speaker of Parliament. Francina Armengo won a majority of votes in the lower house of parliament, securing the position. But it remains to be seen if Sanchez can round up the same support to try to form a government. Alex Cadia reports. Well, it's a significant step forward, but it isn't the end game. It's not a guarantee that the government of Pedro Sanchez will be able to form or reform as the next Spanish government. That support by those Catalan uh, separatists was simply for the election of the Speaker of the Spanish Congress, and that is seen as a win for Pedro Sanchez after weeks of negotiations, but it has been the result of concessions by uh, his socialist party to the uh, Catalan nationalists, the promotion of the Catalan language in Congress, the reopening of an investigation into the Pegasus scandal where Catalan leaders felt that Israeli, Israeli spyware was used to hack into their phones and, and uh, have their personal information. So those are the two concessions so far. But Carlos Puigdemont, who is the leader of the uh, Junts party, he's actually based in Belgium in self-exile after the 2017 referendum in, in Catalonia. Uh, he said that this uh, is not linked in any way to the formation of a new government and that support is not there yet for his party, that there's not a lot of trust between the Socialist Party and his Junts party. So certainly a step forward for Pedro Sanchez, but no guarantee of being able to form a government when the vote comes in September quite yet. That was Alex Cadia reporting. In Russia, the ruble has recovered after plummeting earlier this week to its lowest level in 16 months. It follows speculation that capital controls were being conceded to prop up the struggling currency, which has lost more than a third of its value this year. Russia increased interest rates this week to stem the ruble slide. Dasha Chinashev has more from Moscow. Sources cited by Russia's Vedomosti business newspaper say authorities are not planning to tighten capital controls in response to a weakening ruble. The paper reports that exporters have informally agreed to exchange more of their foreign currency to support the ruble. The reported agreement follows the ruble hitting a 16-month low and Russia's central bank hiking the key interest rate to 12% on Tuesday.
In the meantime, Russian President Vladimir Putin said that time has come to create a new high-speed railroad between Moscow and St. Petersburg. The costly plan would reduce travel time between the country's two largest cities by half to about two hours. And Russia's defense ministry says its forces have repelled a Ukrainian drone attack in Belgrade region. The ministry says it was successful in an offensive in the Donetsk region, with Ukraine losing four striker-armored vehicles. And in neighboring Lugansk, Moscow says 80 percent of the region's residents have been issued Russian passports. That was Dasha Chinesheva reporting. Before we go, here's a recap of the top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping will attend the BRICS summit in Johannesburg and pay a state visit to South Africa. Military leaders of the West African regional bloc ECOWAS have voiced their commitment to ensuring that democratic rule returns to Niger. And thousands of people are scrambling to flee fast-moving wildfires threatening parts of Canada's Northwest Territories. And that concludes this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Qi Zhi. Thanks for listening.